Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today we'll be speaking with guest expert Dr. Julian Hume, avian paleontologist, artist specializing in reconstruction of extinct species, and co-author of the critically acclaimed book, Lost Land of the Dodo. Let's hear what he has to say about the extinction of the dodo bird. Hi Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem at all. <laughs> now, you have a very specific area of expertise. Can you explain to our listeners what it is you specialize in? Right. Well, I'm actually an, a, something called an avian paleontologist, which is a bit of a mouthful and actually means someone who studies old birds, old bird bones in particular. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I'm a research associate at the Natural History Museum in London. And I specialize in island birds, and particularly island bird extinctions, and one of the most famous birds of them all, the dodo bird from Mauritius. So tell us about your experience, you know, or your relationship to the dodo bird. Why did you start researching the bird? When I graduated from university, all of my pals were doing sort of local paleo work so in other words digging for fossils around the miserable south coast of the UK and so on and I decided that I would specialize in any extinct birds that came from tropical islands so I could get some sun tan cocktails and all that stuff and what better place to go than Mauritius where the dodo once lived. I, so yeah you 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 saw an opportunity let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> I was always interested in Mauritius in particular. That's the honest truth. And also looking at the other animals that became extinct from that island because the dodo was just one of many that disappeared because of human interference. Right. And why was the dodo only found on the island? 
The dodo is a bird called an endemic bird. So in other words, only found in one place. And it just so happens by pure chance that the dodo, the ancestral dodo, which in fact a pigeon, a lot of people don't know that, the dodo is actually a giant flightless pigeon. The ancestor was a flying pigeon that managed to find Mauritius. When it arrived there, there were no, this is the most important thing of all, there were no terrestrial or land-living mammals. And so when those pigeons landed on Mauritius, they basically had the island to themselves. So they didn't need to fly. And they got bigger and bigger over time. And they became an endemic to that island, found nowhere else on the planet. Do we know anything about the dodo's lifestyle? Very, very fortunately, Mauritius was one of the very last places discovered by humans. So when humans first arrived there, the island was virtually still intact. So everything was still alive. The forests were still there. And very fortunately, although you imagine these weren't trained scientists, these were mariners who had traveled a long time at sea, but they just happened to mention in their accounts, in daily journals, little snippets of information of what they saw. And that included very small snippets of information about the dodo bird. So we can put those together and start building up an idea of how the dodo lived on its island home. And, and what was that? What were some of its characteristics? Well, what we do know, and we still know very little, unfortunately, was that this was a, a giant flightless pigeon that inherited some of the characteristics of when it could fly. Now, there's one thing about pigeons and doves, and they're called, for example, you heard of gentle doves. This is just not true. They are incredibly aggressive birds. They will fight to the death, sometimes over food, over territory. And the dodo itself inherited that characteristic. It was very, very aggressive. So the idea that this poor dumb bird was just sitting there and people could go up and kill it was just not true. And in fact, there's two wonderful accounts by mariners who actually saw it alive. Who said One said that the war weapon was its mouth. So in other words, it was using its beak to bite. Another one said, do not approach them too close because they bite mightily hard. So they inherited that character of aggressiveness. And it was probably because of territory. The island was small, very limited territory. So the dodo actually inherited that aggression to defend a territory against rival males. What were some of these depictions, earlier depictions and illustrations of the dodo bird? And, and why were they drawn that way? There's lots of theories about this. And a lot of it is bad art. There's, <laughs> they, weren't very good, they weren't very good artists. They were probably drunk on rum as well. So it didn't help the situation at all. But in fact, if you look at the very few genuine dodo drawings, illustrations that we know were taken from live birds, they're actually quite different from all of the images that, that have become the standard feature of the bird, you know, this big, fat, overweight thing. And in fact, it's very untrue. Those original drawings, although not very good, show the bird as quite much, a slim bird, much more athletic. And certainly there's one report that said that they could run very fast once they got in amongst the rocks. So in other words, if you get one in the open, you could catch it. But if, if it got into the forest in amongst the rocks, it was very, very agile. You couldn't actually, a human could not catch one. And my idea behind it is that at the time, the early 17th century, the very first cattle breeds and pig breeds were being developed. And when you saw these early paintings of these very first 
domestic animals, these 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 wonderful draw, uh, illustrations and paintings, they showed them as literally square blocks of meat on legs. They were the best, the fattest, most incredibly indulgent illustration of one of these breeds and that kind of rubbed off on the dodo so each person who painted it wanted theirs to be the fattest the best the most extraordinary of all wow it's the opposite of social media these days indeed yes (laughs) fake news though of course (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you know how did we get to the bad reputation that the dodo bird has these days how did those pictures or those illustrations lead us here? Right. Well, unfortunately, there's and there still occurs to this day, people take these images at the base level. So in other words, they look at them and say, well, they were done by an artist at that time. They must be accurate. And there's a lot of influence from that. And you've got to see through it. You've got to see the reason behind it. I'm actually a, a professional artists as well as a scientist so i can actually see past what these artists and these early depictions were trying to show Uh, but unfortunately they stood the test of time and one character uh, he was actually the founder of the natural history museum in london richard owen he was particularly fascinated by the dodo and he used all of his influence to actually get the very first dodo fossils when they came out of mauritius and he produced a monograph on the bird depicting it as this big fat thing and because of his reputation and because of his status he started everyone believing that's how this bird was in life and that was in the 1870s 18 uh, sorry 1860s 1870s and it's still with us to this day ah i've heard some rumors about owen he seemed to be a very uh a bombacious, I guess, uh, character, <laughs> or uh... <laughs> he certainly was. And in fact, I won't talk too much about it because it's quite a long story. But to, in order to get those first dodo bones, he actually blackmailed a competitor out of actually doing anything with them. He's because it was actually Alfred Newton who was the who was wanted to become the first professor of comparative anatomy in Cambridge, and. Newton was go- um, Alfred, uh, Owen was going to oversee him and, and, and support his application to become a professor. And when Newton first got those dodo bones, Richard Owen said to him, if you do anything with them, I shall make sure you never become a professor. So Alfred Newton had to back off, allowing Richard Owen to do what he wanted with them. And it was Richard Owen who published on that tour. They never spoke again afterwards. Alfred Newton got his professorship, but that's how... Richard Owen got his first dodo bones wow. by academic blackmail. Incredible. <laughs> that is some paleontologist <laughs> drama <laughs> with a capital I'm, D. <laughs> and I'm still the same now. I blackmail everyone to get the best material, you know. <laughs> well, that's how you got into Mauritius, right? <laughs> that's right. The first time there was by pure blackmail. Work to treat. <laughs> so why did the dodo bird go extinct? What, what is the theory that you find most plausible? Right. Well, if you read anything about it, it was humans hunted the dodo to extinction, which is just not true. But it was humans who caused the dodo's extinction inadvertently. The reason being was that on Mauritius, when the dodo was still alive, there was never more than 50 to 70 people on that whole island. And they were restricted to small areas of the coast and so on. 
So actually physically overhunting the dodo to extinction was impossible for those few people there. What they did do was they started introducing animals. First off, rats arrived and they were inadvertent stowaways and they would have caused havoc with competition for food, maybe attacking eggs of dodos and so on. But it was it was pigs and deer that were introduced by the Dutch very early, about 1607 on Mauritius, that caused the real problems because deer deer would have competed with for food and pigs would have certainly taken a ground the dodo was ground nesting had a nest on the ground probably only laid one egg every two years they would have eaten the chicks and eggs every time they came across them and they were ultimately the reason why the dodo became extinct ah so did they do you think they adapted in any way to the you know new invaders and and their uh, crew well there's you know, actually, there's some truth in that. And and what we know from the early accounts of the, the Dutch uh, who were on Mauritius at that time, for example, uh, there was a guy who was uh, keeping some of the local fauna in captivity on Mauritius in order to see if he could, how long he could keep them alive, in order to send them on ships to be sent as gifts to Japan, back to Europe and so on. And so he kept these and he made notes on how you could possibly keep these animals alive. And what he found was when the Dutch first arrived on Mauritius, not the dodo, but the dodo was probably exactly the same. The parrots, there were, there were at least four species, three species of parrot on Mauritius originally. They were so tame that the Dutch didn't even need to shoot them. They could just wave a stick in the air, knock them out of the sky, food. They could hold out a hand and 10 would land on their hand and they just take as many as they wanted. By the 1650s, so about 20, 30, 40 years later, the parrots were very wary of humans. As soon as they saw them, would fly away. And he found it very, very difficult to catch one. So they had learned to avoid humans in that short space of time. So maybe dodos would have done the same, but because they were flightless, they couldn't really get anywhere. And so they didn't have as much chance of survival as a flying bird would have done. Oh, so why is there such little surviving evidence about the dodo bird? You've got to imagine that, as I said earlier, that there was very few trained naturalists uh, going on any of these or even learned souls, you know, anyone who who was able to take notes, read, write, and so on. And so these guys who wrote these snippets up would just see something and they, they would maybe just interested that the, the bird was not very good to eat that was most often said that it was not a good eat it was too tough and so on and they never said anything else and it was just occasionally someone there was one mariner who said they eat raw fruit and that's the only reference that they were eating fruit there's no, nothing else to say what they were doing and so we're relying on these little snippets of information that these people left and unfortunately by the time the first naturalists went to Mauritius just about everything was gone anyway it was like well over 150 years later so dodos by that time were long extinct now you were part of a team of experts that recreated a virtual 3d model of the 
Dodo. Uh, what was that experience like and what did you learn about the bird in the process? I work in two dimensions because of artwork. And what, when you actually can get the three dimensions and, and build something up, you suddenly see things that you never noticed before. Just for example, the way the bones fit together, there's hundreds of dodo bones available, which is very, very fortunate. You can actually reconstruct the dodo in terms of skeleton. And when you fit the bones back together in the way they should be back together, and you do it three-dimensionally on a computer screen, suddenly you see little things that the, the bird may not have been able to have its legs close together or it, it must have been more upright in its pose just purely by the way the bones fit together so you can see a, you can actually see a lot more of what was going on in the dodo's anatomy and then if you know enough about those early accounts that the little snippets of information for example i mentioned that they were very difficult to catch once they got amongst rocks you can actually see it in their anatomy that they were quite long-legged birds and certainly had the capability to be quite agile. So you can actually link the two together, which is a wonderful thing. And you don't get that from looking two-dimensionally, you know, through pictures, art, drawings, and so on. Sure. So I, I, I'm assuming this is when you realized it had knees. And <laughs> what is, first of all, I went down a rabbit hole after I learned that dodos had knees and, and, and you know, learning that really what we think of the knee, like in a flamingo, is really mm. its ankle. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all back front. <laughs> it's, the, it's the hardest thing to explain, actually, because people, you know, they, they say um, they got knees and they say, well, no, no, they got the knees are back, back to front, you know, because they're facing the wrong way. And actually what you're seeing on almost all birds is that the the you've got the extension of the foot so you've got the ankle and the that from the ankle which is what people consider to be the knee down to the toes is just basically the extension of the foot with the toes and they walk on the tips of their toes and what's hidden is that the knee facing the right way is underneath the feathers buried in the bird's body so you never see it Ah, so it's wearing a skirt, essentially. It's wearing a skirt of feathers, so you never see the knee. And they keep their knees nice and warm. That's, that's, <laughs> that's very demure of them to make, the, make sure their, their skirt goes all the way to the ankle. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> now, now uh, tell us about this ecosystem that then disappeared after the dodo's extinction. Like... All islands around the world, there's, well, in fact, there's no islands on this planet that haven't been modified in some way. You know, we talk about Hawaiian Islands, the Mascarenes, which is Mauritius, where the dodo lived, the Galapagos Islands, all of them have been now changed, and so many beyond recognition, like Easter Island, which was forested at one time and so on. And so this wonderful tool that we're using now is we look at, uh, in fact, it's more important than actually finding the bones themselves, because in the early days, 19th century heyday of paleontology, bird paleontology, was that you look for bones and you name new species found from the bones and so on what we do now is that the bones are nice and interesting and you know support the study is but look at the sediment and in that sediment i worked on mauritius last year and uh Luckily, my, well, it's going to be my last trip because until we get a release again from COVID, but I worked on Mauritius last year and 
we found this marsh site that had wonderful sediments contained not only seeds of the plants that once lived alongside the dodo we found dodo bones as well but also most importantly pollen pollen preserves very well and then you can actually reconstruct the environment of the dodo and that site is 14 and a half thousand years old so we now can look at what the, what the forest was like when the dodo was on Mauritius 14 and a half thousand years ago and actually reconstruct it down to as many species as we can and then we can then look at more, uh, a more recent sequence which was 4,000 years ago with another site with pollen samples and so on and you can see, see the changes over time and then if you look at the modern times just about everything's gone it's almost a hundred percent loss of that type of forest so you've got fourteen and a half thousand years four thousand years present day and you can see those changes and in there you can put a pin when the last mention of the dodo was and so on and you can see where they fit in as that forest disappeared so do you, do you think that the dodo would still be alive today is there anything that could have saved it <sighs> I reckon so. You imagine in those hideous times of travel, this is during, um, donors were transported around the world and they survived the incredible journeys when, you know, human cost of, of long distance travel in those days was very, very high. Uh, they, they, for example, ships, when they were, went on those cruises to, for spice trade, for example, they were 18 months at sea and the sailors were sick, scurvy was rife, and sometimes a third of the crew would perish on, on the trip. Mm. So imagine a, a bird like an exotic bird, like a dodo, surviving that voyage and arriving alive. One, one certainly came to Britain. One was in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. One certainly made it alive to, uh, two made it alive to India. And one certainly made it alive to Japan. So you imagine if there was the, the mindset was there that we want to bring these back, breed them and make up a colony. And they had the expertise. Dodas would still be with us. That's for certain. Yeah, they, see, they seem like a sturdy, a sturdy yeah. bird. Tough, tough birds, and their their best diet would have been ships' cookies and dry biscuits, probably, and they still managed to survive, you know. So, uh, and probably a tot of rum to help them sleep at night. That was about it. <laughs> so, I, finally, I have to ask you: at the end of the day, if you had to pick one person, or uh, it can also be a concept that is to blame for the extinction of the dodo bird, who or what would that be? I wouldn't really blame anyone uh, what i do is i blame today where we're making the same mistakes we made we're in our very infancy very early maritime travel the, the concept extinction didn't exist so if you hunted an animal or you introduced pigs you introduced, you had no concept that you were actually going to do this irreparable damage and you had no concept that if they you, you hunted out a bird in one area there was huge numbers of them in another area they just weren't where you were and that's, that was the mentality. So how can you blame people? And also, often, these mariners turning up at Mauritius, they would have had two things on their mind when they arrived. They weren't there to record birdsong and uh, enjoy the views. They would have been starving on the point of death often. So if they saw something living, they would have th the first thing was, one, can they catch it? Two, can they eat it? And that was the basic thing on their mind. So you can't blame anyone 
for the extinction of the dodo, for sure. But I think the saddest thing and where I do blame now is governments that they're making the same mistakes, total disregard, yet we still we know what's going to be the ultimate consequence and they are not doing anything about it. We can learn from the dodo, but we're not learning from the dodo. That's the sad point. Well, Julian, thank you so much for talking to us today. And really, we got to know the dodo in a way we hadn't before. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you get back to Mauritius or, well, next year, I guess you'll have to wait. (laughs) Yeah, I know this miserable England at the moment, miserable, cold. (laughs) Now you just reminded me what I'm missing. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Thanks again. (laughs) Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. And fact-checker Chris Smith. Hi, everybody. And hello from our landscapers outside. Uh, you're probably here. Oh, and the dogs. Oh, everyone's saying hi. <laughs> it's a chaotic morning. <laughs> now, um, Amanda, can you, before we even get started about our wonderful, wonderful conversation with Julian, um, tell our listeners about the new season of The Big Ones. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. So The Big Ones is a podcast that I host along with my friend and Erio's co-founder, Maria Blasucci. And we each episode, we sit down with a comedian guest to discuss uh, a moral or ethical dilemma. They're big or small. And it's really fun. So we just launched our new season. I think it's maybe our fourth or fifth season now. So there's a whole back catalog. And our premiere episode is uh, based on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The dilemma is, would you steal Willy Wonka's gobstopper to lift your family out of poverty? (laughs) 
just a really it's that's a really good one to just sink your teeth into. Well, now hang on. You're sort of you're sort of playing with the plot of that movie a little bit, right? Because he doesn't steal the gobstopper to save his fa- save the family, right? He steals the gobstopper because he wants it. Well, no, actually. So you're confusing um, the gobstopper with some of the laughing liquid that he and his <laughs> grandpa Joe drink. So he is before he goes to the chocolate factory, he's approached by one of Charlie uh, oh. Willy Wonka's rivals that says, hey, steal the company's secrets and I'll pay you for them. And as you recall, of course, they are living in horrible circumstances where all the grandparents sleep right. in one bed. So right. this is a real moral dilemma for Charlie. And that, and then, um, after that scene is the one where Lawrence Fishburne offers him the red pill or the blue pill and he takes the red one, right? Mm. Well, you know, funny, you should mention that we've actually done the Matrix Dilemma as well on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, such a good podcast. It's so funny, so fun. And I feel like our listeners, there's a lot, there's a lot of crossover, you That's know, true. There, so I think they'll enjoy is. it. We've done the Titanic, um, so that would be a good episode for people to check out. Chris and Rebecca have both been on the podcast, mm-hmm. so if you're interested in getting some of this alarmist, you know, a little bit extra, uh, come come check it out. The big ones on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Yeah, and just for your mind's eye, um, when I was on the podcast, Maria was laying down completely horizontally through the whole episode. So. I think she does that yes. for most episodes. <laughs> yes, she has a very mellow vibe, not like any of us. <laughs> so do we have any business to attend to before we get started? I just want to say we've been loving all the reviews you guys have been leaving. We read them. They make us so happy and they help the podcast become more discoverable. So just going to shout out a few here. Um, okay, so this comes in from Herco underscore CL. Fun and you will learn some stuff. Five stars. Perfect to listen to while cleaning the kitchen. Great mix of very serious tragedies and more light stuff. Great experts. And then this really made me laugh. She goes... Or she or he or they say, I love that Amanda lets them do their thing. <laughs> That's so funny. My, my favorite episode so far is the one about the Chilean miners. So you're, you guys are welcome. I let you do your thing. <laughs> Thank that you, Amanda. You were just summarized, I think, our relationship in six words. <laughs> I let them do their thing. I could stop it, but I let it happen. <laughs> just the power she gives what? you. And what the fuck is their thing? I don't know. I really don't know. Whatever it is, we've got it. But that's exactly yes. what happens on our podcast. Yeah. Amanda <laughs> does let me just go on and on. The, whatever the thing is you're doing is great. I love it. Um, and you know what? This this reminds me. I think it's a great idea. I think our, our listeners should po- uh, go on there and tell us what their favorite episode is because that will help other listeners uh, dip their toes. They can start with the episode that you like. That's such a great idea. So thank you for everyone who's been reading and reviewing. Wait, but I, really I saw us. another one. I uh, I saw another review, Amanda, that I wanted Ooh. to read. Um, and it said, I do love you all. Five stars. I'd love, I love you all truly. But Amanda has my heart. <laughs> she is adorably kind and her realization of what the Spice Girls lyrics me- meant was priceless. <laughs> uh that was an authentic moment I have to say. I'm not I'm not always adorably kind, but that was a true moment that really shocked me. <laughs> 
you know? And let's not all go on there and say who our favorite one is. Let's keep it more to the episodes. (laughs) I'm I'm getting a feeling that (laughs) it's going to be a little lopsided here. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no need to no need to call us out. Yeah. But thank you, Amy Greens, for that. uh, That review. Now, let's trans and that, you know, let's transition, you know, that is a perfect segue. Mm. <laughs> Amy Greens is. is a perfect segue <laughs> to our conversation yes. with Dr. Julian Hume, which, by the way, he's, I, I wish he was, I wish I had taken a paleontology class, you know, with him <laughs> because he was so charming and so fun. Seems like a, I know you two had good chemistry. We did. Yeah, he, he, we got each other's humor, I think. Yes. Sorry, Chris. How good? I mean, what do you mean by that? Um, No, he was he was awesome, energetic, and he made me miss jolly old England, which oh, I love. I know it's just the best. The people there are the best. Really, is the best. And I have to say, I looked up his artwork. And it's incredible. Yes, really? I really, I recommend that yes. our listeners check out his website. It's julianhume.co.uk. And look at, he's got many illustrations of, of the dodo and other extinct bird species. It's really cool. And I like, yeah, he, I oh, lo- well, we'll get into what he says after he talks, right? Oh, yeah, let's, let's talk about what he said, because no, I, I don't know. He's talking he- now. <laughs> oh, he's talked already? Yeah. Yeah, he's already talked. <laughs> okay. <A> little ma- <laughs> okay, You're sorry. showing the magic. <laughs> sorry, guys. We had a little confusion about where we were going to put all the plugs, but yes. they're after after Julian's talked now. So we can let's get into it cuz he made some really interesting points. Yes. yes. Do you want to uh, l- Amanda, why don't you share the ones you wrote down? Okay. So, a few points um that Mauritius is a crazy magical island. Just, I want to say that off the bat. Yes. Um, it seems really cool. Um, also, he that, verified that. I remember I'm, I'm a, a big Mauritius supporter and lover. Yes. I know. I know Mark was trying, trying to sort of like, you know, uh, get a little jabs in at Mauritius, but yeah. I think this has, this has shown Mark that the error of his ways, um, <laughs> The ancestral dodo. Um, the ancestral dodo was a pigeon. Yeah, that's Th- right. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the fact that dodos were aggressive. I think we may have gone a little bit hard on the Dutch and um, imperialism, and I think that we could have. Like, Re- and Rebecca, you wanted to do this. Go a little bit harder on the rats, pigs, and the deers. <laughs> That's right. He did mention the rats, uh, particularly, and he said they were the worst of the worst. So um, I, I, I did want to go. But, you know, I understand we sometimes we like to think of bigger picture. Um, and that's good, too. Yes. I, and then one other thing I wanted to th- um, throw up on the board in retrospect was the fact that the dodos couldn't fly because he mentioned those parrots that were able to adapt mm-hmm. and the fact that the dodos couldn't fly made them more susceptible that is so true we should have put that up on the board i yeah chris yeah no that that's that's all correct i was gonna say also that i think we were we were way off about i mean not only mauritius but just the whole our take on the um darwin element of them not 
needing to be, them being sort of fat and lazy and not needing to run away from predators because as um dr hume pointed out actually mauritius was a dangerous place where there were predators and there was a lot of fighting over the land because it was very small so they were actually really good he said they were fast on rocks they they weren't easily caught by humans so um you know i always you know, I am a scientist by trade, and I always <laughs> like to admit when I uh, get my data and my figures wrong. Um, so I got to get back in the lab. I got to punch the numbers, and I got to come out the other side lear- like a better scientist for this. <laughs> We're all learning, Chris. You, we you'll are. get there. You'll get there. But to, to that point, he said that Dodo was aggressive. Yes. Right. Full on aggressive. So that, I mean, that does cast a different light on the he Dodo. the word agile and fast as right. well now i wrote down something i think we missed putting up on the board was that and and we did touch on this but maybe not fully it was the the concept of extinction not existing yes that was fascinating and something that's why i think we went too hard on the dutch right <laughs> we might have we might have gone a little overboard there and another thing i wrote down was the conditions of travel for the sailors if they had been mm. if there had been better conditions for the sailors maybe once they got off of the boat they wouldn't have been so ravenous and like wanting to just mm. like kill and eat things <laughs> mm, yeah i think that's a great point they should have uh, traveled like the titanic or you know a luxury cruise line yeah that would have been a lot better bring a freaking salad to go for god's sake <laughs> i mean jeez so just just a reminder that we sent the dutch to jail and we slapped imperialism yes and we and and julian put uh, ultimately said that to blame were the today's governments (laughs) for making the same mistakes not learning from mistakes yeah but that's okay um uh, I, I like that idea. I, I like, like the, to think I, about that. Yeah. I like the idea of using the dodo, res- honoring the, the the memory of the dodo by protecting the species that are endangered today. Mm, I love that. I really think it, it it could be the poster boy, poster boy. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Poster the bird. poster boy. Poster, poster bird. Poster bird. <laughs> <laughs> You did. I, I was listening to your interview and you did miss an opportunity. You said the Dodo was a sturdy bird. And I almost thought you were going to go a sturdy birdie. Hmm. <laughs> I, I I also use the word bombacious and I'm pretty sure the word is bombastic. <laughs> but, I I, that too. But, but I like bombacious. I was and- like, you know what? She combined bombastic and bodacious. <laughs> Which does describe Owen, too. I mean, sure, why not? Yeah. (laughs) But then later, when you you use the word demure, and that was used correctly. That was used correctly. I was very impressed by that. That's a French word. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we're we're in the... I know that we're in the history world, we're in the history comedy world, but I kind of want to be in the dictionary world too. And Ooh. I feel like we could really, <laughs> between prudism and uh, bombacious, I feel like we have two winners so far. Yes, very. We could definitely, maybe we'll get a word of the year at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. So do we ultimately think that we should 
take the you know blame away from the Dutch. I mean, I'm all up for the rats again. You know, it's so me. hard. I know it's. I. I mean, we were on the right. We were on a path. But there's just so many different options for this. And just his, um, as someone who I assume not only studies birds, but loves them, I mean, maybe I'm projecting that, I would think if the Dutch and imperialism were really to blame, he would have been mad at them and wanted to sort of give it to them. But because the expert said that, you know, no one is to blame, it does make me rethink Right, it's just like the 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 way of the world, the 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 circle of life, or something. I mean, well, how do you put no one in jail? <laughs> you don't. I we mean, don't. What do you, we have to put someone? Perhaps for a just society, nobody would be in jail. Um, what do you think about this? <laughs> cool, Chris. That was creepy, Chris. Yeah. You were like hovering over Rebecca's shoulder when you said that, <laughs> and then you just like wander out of frame. Yeah. Don't well, worry. I'm, I'm actually floating. You can't see. Zoom <laughs> you right have now, no but... lower body. No. Yes. <laughs> I'm a vampire. What do you think about putting the concept of no extinction, or, or a concept of extinction not existing in jail? And giving the Dutch the big slap. Um, yeah, I could see that. I could see like extinction ignorance. Is that yes. like a good way to say it? And then also maybe this is a good opportunity, Rebecca, for you to wag your finger at the modern. I don't know. Who do you wag your finger at? The mod like uh, all of us not learning from our mistakes. Okay. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> Bad students. Uh and also not caring. It's like how many people just don't care about species going extinct? I mean, clearly with, you know, people don't really care about climate change. So that's that's a no-no here. You got to care. You who, who does care is Cher. Sure, she, she is currently saving the life of this big elephant. She's like moving it to Cambodia or something. Yes, so. they flew it. I, I couldn't believe yeah. <laughs> they flew it. It's 9,000 pounds, which, by the way, it had to lose 1,000 pounds so that it could get on the plane. So like for three months, they put it on a diet. And Not then Not what? <laughs> yes, it had to lose a thousand pounds. Not worth in it. three months. I'd rather die. And <laughs> and then then they had to fill up the plane with something like uh, I I'm gonna I might get this wrong, but uh, four was it four thousand pounds of food so it could eat during the flight? It might have been four hundred pounds of food. Okay, See, this is what they should have done do for the dodo. <laughs> we have to do an episode on this. I mean, it's wild. It's amazing. <laughs> and Cher is funding the whole thing. It's costing like two over two hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna go buy <laughs> I, a share record. She's she rules. I love we, Cher. We should give her the big clap. Yeah. Um, okay, then I think I'm gonna I'm calling it Amanda. Exti- okay, so I'll start with the slap. All right. Dutch, you're getting the big slap. Extinction ignorance. You're going to the alarmist jail. And everyone who does, who's not learning from their mistakes and not caring about the extinction of, of species on the planet or climate change, I'm just going to throw it in there. You're getting the big wag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, now and- I got to find a new sound effect. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm it, not done. It should be a dog's tail <laughs> wagging if you could somehow recreate that sound. I am not done. Cher, you're getting the big clap. 
I'm just going to give Cher the big clap every episode, honestly. She deserves it. um all right well i you know it's 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 good to it's good to solve all of the problems it's feels good right feels amazing it does feel amazing (laughs) and i'm gonna think about uh the dodo bird every time the parrots we have a huge parrot population that flies around in altadena and pasadena yeah um and they make all kinds of noise but you know tip your hat to those parrots they've learned to adapt to us weird humans who let them out of Right. And they're just, they're yapping away because we stole their ecosystem, you know, we're living in their land. And now they're like, well, we're going to just sound, sound, we're going to do a sound, the no sound ordinance on us. Am I right? It did make me sad when he said the parrots were so friendly at first and then they learned to stay away from humans because they were whacking them and eating them. Yeah, we're the worst. We're yeah, the worst. We really are. And on that note, everyone have a wonderful week. <laughs> and <laughs> stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be discussing the eggnog riot. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.